Welcome back to the Front Nine Podcast. Derek and Nate are with you tonight. Bob, unfortunately, uh, seems like he's having some sort of business dinner. I don't know, but he's not able to join us tonight on the on the pod, but that's okay because uh, Nate and I have a lot to uh, hash out and talk about, so that's going to be a lot of fun. I'm excited to do, uh, to hear his take, uh, especially, uh, you know, as we have kind of announced it over the last couple of weeks, his take on the world of golf in YouTube. I know Nate has something very special uh, to share with us tonight. So, Nate, how are you doing? And, and what is this awesome YouTube content we can all dive into as soon as we're done listening to this podcast? Yeah, that's right. So, uh, first, I do think we have to lead off with saying Bob is stuck at a business dinner. And I think he used the term stuck, and it's like, we all know what happens at those dinners. Nobody is stuck at those dinners. So I have a feeling he's having a great time. Probably not as good of a time as he would have with us, but yeah, know, fair, free, fair. free food, drinks, desserts, you know, the, the whole nine yards. I don't think anybody can complain about that. So I'm sure he's having a great time. Uh, but we are too, uh, specifically because I, as we've talked about, I do consider myself the foremost expert when it comes to YouTube golf content because there's nothing like uh, I'm back working at home. Uh, our office is actually in the process of moving and there's some coronavirus concerns out there. Um, we're going to open up a new office and until then we've got some folks working remotely and I am uh, one of them. And so there's nothing better than working all day and listening to golf YouTube content on my TV <laughs> while I can't watch while I work. Uh, and today, I think the highlight of my YouTube golf content week has been Andrew Jensen. If you guys have not checked out Andrew Jensen, he's one of my favorite content creators on YouTube. Started off in 2017 as kind of a, a mini tour guy who would... Uh, give some course vlogs and kind of some details on how mini tour golfers, um, and we're not we're talking about mini mini tours like the Florida Pro Tour or Florida Elite Tour. Uh, a local guy who lives here in Jacksonville, um, but most recently in the last couple of weeks, and I think the video is actually from May, but in the last couple of weeks, I found a video of him playing the Palm Valley Par Three course. And any golfer in the greater Jacksonville area is going to be familiar with the Palm Valley Par 3. I think two or three generations of golfers in the Jacksonville area have played the Palm Valley Par 3. It's one of those places. It, it has nine holes. It has a driving range. You're going to find every range of golf ability there. There's going to be some folks carrying some expensive PXG clubs. And then there's going to be folks working or playing out of the same bag carrying a cooler around. Uh, it, it's one of those places. And so uh, Andrew goes out and he actually has a course vlog of him trying to shoot four under at the nine hole par three course where he calls all the tee boxes fairway bunkers, uh, which is consistent with the condition of the course most of the time. But it's a, it's a ton of fun. He plays a ton of golf courses locally, uh, has the Siri brothers, Julian Siri, who grew up at Southampton, played at Bartram Trail, Start at Duke and has eventually, I think he's won twice on the European tour. He's a local Jacksonville guy that he spends some time, he spends some time with. Uh, highlights kind of his workout routine and, and regiment. Um, and so it's a great watch if you have some time. If you're interested in golf like I am, and the golf channel's cool, but you know, not necessarily all that much golf content. You know, I don't want uh, swing tips or instruction as much as they, they typically do. Uh, so if you want to see some guys playing some golf, giving you some really cool insight about the game, Andrew Jensen is definitely your guy. 
Hmm. Yeah, I'm looking at his. Uh, I'm looking at his YouTube channel right now, which is pretty interesting. I, I I just saw something that said you know he does a shot for shot at Southampton, which we play all the time when I'm down there. Well, that's his home um, course. Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. Sweet. So anyway, just pretty cool to you know see stuff like that on there. Obviously, if you're around the Jacksonville area, you'll you'll recognize some of this stuff. Even I, who not from Jacksonville, but spent a lot of time in Jacksonville, recognize some of this stuff. So pretty cool. Uh, I definitely have to check him out. I have not. Have we ever um, played? Have Have I taken you to Palm Valley before? Have we played it with Dad? Yeah, yeah, we okay. played Palm Valley like or really early on when I first started playing golf. I think it was one of the only places you felt comfortable taking me because you were embarrassed <laughs> to take me anywhere else. But <laughs> <laughs> that may be true. But Palm Valley has like sentimental value. I remember when I was probably I don't know my my oldest is 10 miles is 10 years old I, I wasn't too much older maybe 12 13 when my dad first took me out to palm valley and i played his johnny millers from high school yeah uh out of his bag which i do have those still in my office that's like one of my prized possessions but um and we would play and walk around palm valley so i've been going to palm valley for a long time that's a great course uh, I probably wanted to take you there because nobody else would appreciate it probably <laughs> like, like you would. So, um, yeah. it's a, it's a ton of fun. And, and Andrew Jensen has a great perspective. He's a really positive guy. I think he shares some pretty similar beliefs with some of the rest of us. And that kind of comes through because I think golf can sometimes be extremely frustrating, especially yeah. the, the mini tour life. Yeah. Um, you know, you're not winning a, a ton. Golf is one of those things where you have to deal with some bad circumstances and bad situations. And he has some great outlook. Um, I love his presentation. His videos are, are high quality. So I would definitely recommend him. But I know we didn't get a chance to talk about it last time because it was kind of a, a recent thing and still maybe ongoing. But you've had some kind of mini tour contact recently there, too, haven't you? Yeah. I mean, that's that's uh, that's. That's a good segue. I think, uh, so it, those of you who don't know this, I used to caddy um, in, in Augusta, Georgia, not at Augusta National, but at Champions Retreat where they played the Augusta National Women's Amateur. And, um, and so had an opportunity to, to kind of be around um, pro golf. I did some pro-ams, got to caddy for some pros, got to play golf with a couple of pros um, on occasion uh rub shoulders uh with you know guys like uh Wesley Bryan and and Luke List and uh Henrik Norlander some of these guys like that um Shad Tootin who's on the uh Corn Ferry tour um you know got to meet Gary Player uh who's one of the three designers out at Champions Retreat so I I've been around pro golf a little bit in that regard and I've got to be around uh some of that and not too long ago a sponsor of a guy who's trying, who, who plays on a mini tour here in North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia. Um, he was trying to qualify for the Wyndham Championship, and they were looking for a caddy to come uh, work with them and uh, and be with them for the qualifiers uh, leading into the Wyndham Championship. And so uh, that was uh, that was me. They called me, and uh, and I I joined uh, this guy who's trying to qualify to to go to the Wyndham Championship and. Uh, and man, it was just a, it was a crazy experience. I, I just, I, I had, I had not been, you know, I'd done the pro-am things and those kinds of things, which are very lighthearted events, just kind of like, you know, uh, a, a regular scramble tournament that you would play in with your buddies. 
um, at the at the at a local club on a Saturday just to try and see if you can win some prizes and have some fun, um, and and give something to charity like whatever you do that for. But like the, the this was just it was so different because the 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 practice rounds kind of felt like that. It kind of felt like oh we're getting you know we're just kind of yucking it up with some guys and we're playing with some guys and those kinds of things. But immediately when the tournament round started, it was like the lights came on intention went to a hundred. I mean, it was just you, the stakes were so high for these guys because they're trying to make these cuts. And, and, and man, like all of these guys, most all of these guys are mini tour guys. They're not guys who have status on any tour really. Um, but they're mini tour guys and they're, they're just trying to make it and they're sponsoring themselves and they're driving hours to events. Sometimes, uh, you know, eight, nine hours to get to a, to an event just to play in a qualifier uh, or a pre-qualifier. Like that's the other thing is that you have a pre-qualifying tournament, which is like 160 guys. And then you have the qualifier, which is the top 40 from the pre-qualifier get into the Monday qualifiers. And then, um, and then, so then you have your Monday qualifiers and then the top four from the Monday qualifier get into the tournament. So you kind of have these little mini tournaments within even just trying to get into a tournament and you're not making any money no matter how far you get. Like if you win the pre-qualifier, you're not making any money. If you win the Monday qualifier, you're not making any money. You're just getting a chance to play on the PGA tour for, for a chance to, you know, make a cut on the PGA tour where you would make money. If you miss the cut, you're not making any money. So, I mean, there's essentially you could play as, as good a golf as possible for, for, you know, for two days, get into a PGA tour event play not great golf for two days and and still walk away not making any money and haven't spent a lot of money on hotels on gas on on tournament fees and all these other kinds of things and so uh one of the things i realized is just you know those guys who are sponsored um they there there are guys out there who who literally they have enough sponsorship money that they can travel from city to city and and play in these things and they're really really bad like they're really bad <laughs> golfers. Like they're not good. I, I mean, I guarantee you that if you, Bob, and I practiced like as much as they play, and had the ability to practice and play as much as they play, like within six months we could be on these qualifiers. Like we could we could be in there, and it's like because um, I mean, you just have to have a certain handicap, and then you have to have a sponsor, or you have to have the money to be able to pay for the entry fee. Like that's really all you have to have to be able to get into the pre-qualifier, um, hmm. and and it's it's crazy because like these guys are really 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 bad. And the guy I caddy for actually I think is is pretty solid. I mean he hits the ball really really well. Um, really, you know I, I would like to have him on the podcast. I'm going to probably reach out to him and and try and hear his story a little bit more on the podcast because I think it would be just interesting to hear uh, and for listeners to hear. But um, but he's from Uganda, grew up not playing golf, but actually playing tennis, came to the United States on a tennis scholarship, but like was a caddy in Africa um, wow. at, while he was in school growing up. And so that's where he learned the game of golf. And so when he came over to the United States, it was like one of the very first places that he actually had the ability to play golf because golf was available to anybody. And so he started, he started playing golf for like the first time when he came over here in college. He found out he was pretty good. He started playing in some money games on like weekend things and stuff like that. Started winning some money doing that kind of stuff. 
And, um, and then he was out, honestly, it's such a weird thing, but, uh, his story was he was out playing with, uh, just playing a round of golf and some, a member at this local club saw him or partnered up with him. And he was like four under through 12 holes or something like that. And so this guy called a buddy of his, who's like a business owner and said, dude, you got to see this guy play golf. He needs a sponsor. And so anyway, so anyway, they get this guy's sponsor. And so now he's got a sponsor for, you know, 16 events uh, on this mini tour in North Carolina to see how well he can do, how much money he can make and, and those kinds of things. But I, it, it was just, it was interesting to me to see that like there were some guy, like there was one guy in our group who withdrew after seven holes because he was eight over par. I mean, that's, wow. it was, I mean, and I'm not, I'm not trying to brag, but like I played the same golf course from the tips like a week before. And I think through those same seven holes, I was only two over par. So like, <laughs> I, I mean, I, it just, there are a lot of golfers in this tournament that like get in. They're just, they're just not very good. Um, and, and yet they have sponsorship money that allows them to get into these things and, and try for these things. And, um, it's just, a it's just a really interesting take. Unfortunately, the guy that I caddy for, he shot three under on the practice round day, um, which would have got him into the Monday qualifier. But um, on the actual pre-qualifier day, he was even par um, and uh, and came up just short of getting in. I think uh, one over two, or, or sorry, one under or two under was the cut line for uh, for the Monday qualifier for top forty. So he finished like right in that fifty range. So he was right there on the cut line, and uh, it was just kind of a bummer. He was real close to getting in. Um, and if he would have got in the Monday qualifier, I would have kept caddying for him. If he would have got into Wyndham, I would have been caddying at the Wyndham last week. And uh, So it was, a really cool, it was a really cool experience. Let's just say that. Um, and, and it's definitely something that you know, I've, always, I've always kind of dreamt of getting to caddy in at least one PGA Tour event before I die, and I got really close. Um, and that just kind of gave me a little bit more of a hunger to, to try and – you know, get there again at some point. So, um, but yeah, it was a lot of fun and it was, and it was also very interesting. I think, I think mini tours should have its own, I don't know, like th- there should be more content about those guys on mini tours. There should be more like documentaries and, and films and, uh, stories that come out of those guys who have worked so hard, uh, just to try and make it, you know, out of college or, or whatever, playing these, Playing the jicky jacks, as they call it, I guess. Yeah, uh, no, that's that's yeah. exactly right. That's what makes the, like the struggle and the challenge yeah. and the adversity is what makes those stories so interesting. Yeah, when you've got 140 guys that aren't even necessarily playing for at least at at that stage, right? Playing for any type of money, but pay, playing for the opportunity for the opportunity to potentially play for money, right? Yeah. Right, um, like and, real and money, that's substantial money. Because I mean, they they play for money on the mini tours, but like I mean, they're playing for you know a thousand dollars if they win, or five thousand dollars maybe if they win. I mean, it's it's nothing, nothing compared to what you know. Obviously, uh, a, a, even a Latin America or Canadian tour, or corn fairy tour event would even get correct. Them, you know? well, and, and they say, and one of the things that I've learned from watching. Uh, Andrew Jensen's videos is they they talk about it's it's kind of like the minor leagues in baseball, right? Mm-hmm. Like if you can hit or pitch in Double A, you can probably play in the major leagues if you get a chance, right? You stumble upon the right circumstance, you can make it work. Yeah, 
And that's kind of the way that I think a lot of folks feel about mini tour golf. Or there are a lot of really talented people that play at a very high level. Now there's a there's an upper elite echelon of world golfers that we're going to talk about and pick from here pretty soon <laughs> that that yeah. play at the Northern Trust and fly in private jets and and that kind of stuff. But outside of you know kind of the top ten percent, there's a a very bunched talented group that play in you know five seven tours across the country right the guys that are playing in europe could definitely play on the pga tour if they could afford it and dedicate mm-hmm. the time and energy right yeah and, and then there's those guys money and that's yeah. right there's those guys on corn ferry or mckinsey or latin america that could do the same thing in europe if they wanted to if if they could arrange for that right and then there's those guys in the minor leagues that could play on those tours. And then, like you mentioned in your story, there's guys like us who have other jobs who could potentially do some of the stuff on the mini tours. So it's like, yeah. you know, golf is one of those things where if you have time and effort, there's some opportunity for you. So it's, it's really interesting to hear those stories. That's what makes, I think that's what resonates with everybody when you watch those documentaries or see those specials. I, I feel like a mini tour should do that. Because that's a way to kind of increase the prize purse for their players mm-hmm. is find a way to produce content in connection with your tour. Put it on YouTube, find a way to monetize it, get a sponsor, maybe Showtime, HBO, CBS, Golf Channel. Somebody would be interested in doing some type of you know documentary or, or content around that. Right. One of them I, I think we've talked about it before on the podcast, but one of the most interesting series that that came out of quarantine for me was uh, Scratch, the channel that has Eric Anders Lang, Adventures in Golf. They did a special on, I think, a handful of guys that were playing in kind of the modified Latin America, McKinsey, China tour that was going around uh, the Southeast during quarantine. They were trying to give those guys a chance to play some golf, and they actually played at the World Golf Village here in Jacksonville. They played at Dyes Valley out at TPC. Uh, but they had a couple stops across the the southeast, and they did some document uh, documentary stuff on on them in YouTube on their YouTube mm. channel. So, um, yeah, it, it's really compelling stuff because everybody has a different story and everybody's doing it a little bit differently. Um, but you know, I, at least for me, that's the kind of stuff that I watch and think like, man, that'd be awesome to be able to do. Right. Yeah. You know, no, I mean, I think and, that much time and effort that yeah. that would be amazing. Yeah, I mean, I think it, it's definitely one of those things that, like, I mean, it definitely is is doable. I mean, I, I if you, I really felt like, man, like, if I, you know, if my wife made enough money and I could quit my job, like, I, I, <laughs> I could give it a shot for a year, you know? I mean, I could take the risk and, and see what happens because, like, and I'm terrible right now, but, like, I would, I feel like I am a good enough athlete like looking at some of these other guys that were out there, like I feel like I'm a good enough athlete, like given enough practice time, I could, I could figure it out, you know? Um, and, and I, I probably wouldn't have felt that way, but like even walking with, uh, Patrick, um, and talking to him about it, you know, he was like, Oh man, no, you're, he goes, your, your game's good enough. And I was like, no, he goes, no, 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 seriously. I think like if you, if you practice for, four months you could be out here doing the same thing I'm doing. Like he was like, if you practice every day for four months, you, you would be, you know, you'd be a scratch or, or, you know, plus handicap. Huh? And I'm like, there's no way. (laughs) 
There's no way. I mean, it, like, I, I don't see how that's possible because, like, I've never been that close, you know. I don't feel like. But, but he, seemed to, he seemed to think that it's really not that, not that far of a stretch. So I feel like it's a really big stretch, but he, didn't, he, he, he said he didn't feel like it was. So I was surprised by that. Well, I think for all of us after Innisbrook, we feel like we are a long way away. That's the cool <laughs> part about that's – the, that's the Playing a PGA Tour course. And that's right. And shooting over through four rounds. Shooting thirty over for four rounds when the when the winners are twenty under there, yeah. you realize how large that gap actually is. Yeah. Yep. So, so, uh, so my questions about your experience. So, what kind of like do you have a conversation with your player specifically in that context, right? Where he's a professional, he's trying yeah. to make some money or or get some experience or or get something positive yeah. out of the experience for him, right? Do you have a conversation with him about, hey, what are you looking for in a caddy? Or so that you try to cater your approach? Or do you just try to feel it out as you go? Like, how would you describe that relationship between player and caddy in, in those circumstances? Because you talked about how the the pressure and the anxiety and, and those feelings crank up because all those guys are there and they've got to play the best round of their life to get a shot to play again to get into right. the PGA tour event. Right. Right. Yeah. And I mean, I think, I think I, you know, I'm not a pro golfer, so I try and tell these guys, like whenever I'm around them, I just say, look, Hey, here I, I'm, I'm here to help. I'll give you my best, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll give you my best suggestion on what I think is the best situation or best thing to do here. I'll give you what I think is the best line off of a tee. I'll give you what I think is the best, uh, miss off of a tee or into a green or something like that. But if, but you're the pro, and you got to hit the shot. So if you feel something different, you just go for it. Um, and you know, I'm not going to be offended by that at all, right? Like you know your game better, and I know your game, especially in this case where like I had played one round with a guy, uh, I had walked one practice round with the guy, and then I was in a tournament round with him. And so, um, so really, I had seen him play twice before the tournament round that I caddied for him on, and. Um, and and so anyway, so I I think I think in that regard, like I I just try and say, look, I I will do whatever you ask of me, and if you want me to stop doing something, you tell me. Um, if I feel very strongly about something, I'll let you know. And there was there was maybe two times during the round where like I felt something different than him. Uh, like one of the one of the times was he was like. I feel like there's a lot of wind in our face. And I was like, I don't think there's that much wind. I think, you know, he's, he's like, should I hit, you know, he was trying to decide, do I hit six? It was a par three. I think it was playing like 210 yards or something like that. And, um, and he was like, do I, should I hit six or should I hit five? Uh, and I think he was kind of leaning towards five. And I was like, man, I think six is plenty. I think if you just hit the six, I think we get it you know, right there. I was like, we're going to, I said, you know, you're going to cover all the trouble with the six. If you, if you hit a five and you flush it and the wind doesn't catch it, you're, you're dead over the green. So like hit the six, he hit the six to eight feet. We made birdie. Um, so, so like that's a situation where like, I will speak up where I really feel like, you know, and he told me, he said, you know, six is the right call. Good call. You know, and I really that's that gives me more confidence to do more of that, right? So like I think that it's kind of like in anything, like whenever you make a good call or you make a good decision, 
um, and then that's validated in some way, it's easier for you to keep having confidence that you you can make good decisions moving forward. So, um, but I think you know, for the most part, I just I I basically I just try and keep up and and be encouraging. Uh, like when there's good shots that he hits, I give him good shots. When there's a I give him the number that he needs. Uh, you know, to carry trouble and give him the number to the pin and um and then I just, you know, let him tell me what club he wants to hit and if, you know, I don't have any issues with that whatsoever, then I'm like, Yeah, I like that. Let's do it, you know. You know, take a good confident swing. And then I just back off and don't do anything. You know, I'm just I try and I just try and be as supportive and and uh encouraging as I can be. Cause I mean that's the last thing that they need is, you know, doubt. Uh, when they're standing over a shot, so um, right. yeah, well, that's the, never never going to be any good, right? <laughs> right, right. So I mean, and and we all know that just from being being golfers, right? Anytime there's doubt put in our minds, that's not that's not good. Um, and when you're given too much to think about, you try and hit the perfect shot instead of just hitting a good shot. And I think I think that that's a struggle of a lot of good golfers who are capable of hitting a really really good golf shots is. They're, they're almost concerned too much with hitting the perfect golf shot as opposed to saying, well, if I hit a good golf shot right here, I'm 25 feet and I have a chance for a birdie, the worst I'm going to make is a par. Um, and I think sometimes we're like, oh, but if I hit the perfect golf shot, I'm five feet and I'm tapping it in for a birdie. And, and we, need more, we need more good golf shots and not worrying about hitting perfect ones. The more information we give, I think the more we – we try and really hit the perfect golf shot instead of just hitting a really good solid golf shot. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think when you try to hit those perfect golf shots, you end up, you know, probably hitting a worse shot than you would if you were just trying to hit a good shot. And instead of having that twenty five footer for birdie and, and potentially, you know, making you know, a high probability of making par and, and a low probability of making bogey, maybe you try to hit something a little bit too hard or shape it in a direction that you're not necessarily familiar with or should be and then all of a sudden you're bringing double and and you know a high probability of bogey in and right and so i i think yeah. that's a that's a good point and i think what you talked about at the beginning is something that i always had a dispute with uh with robbie about whenever we would go and play stream song or anywhere else where you have a caddy <laughs> is i don't think guys I, th- I think guys who don't have caddies or or maybe don't have the the confidence in your game like when a caddy tells you something as an amateur and you would think the same would apply as a professional, right? Yeah. Uh, to your point, like, whoever you're caddying for is a professional golfer. He, he has to hit the shot, uh, or she. Uh, he or she has to hit the shot, and they should be the one ultimately making the decision with some input. But that's what right. it is, right? It, it's input to form their decision and their action. Right. Um, you know, the caddy can't play for the player. And I think some, some guys that I play with, Robbie specifically, would always get so mad at the caddy because he felt like he was getting bad advice and they were telling him the wrong thing to do or a wrong line or taking this and should have gone that or this club and that club. And it's like, you're the one hitting the shot. What does he know about your game, right? Like uh, for us amateurs that never use a caddy, um, I always find it interesting where that guy who, who, you know, shakes your hand on the first tee all of a sudden is, you know, fluff or Joey LaCava or Mm -hmm. bones to you. Um, yeah, yeah. I think some guys lose perspective on that really quickly. Right. Yeah. Well, and that's, you know, I think that that is, uh, you know, I, I will say that there are some guys who 
are really bad golfers who come to these resorts just to have fun with their buddies or something like that. And, and they're going to ask you, they're going to start asking you questions about how would I play, how should I play this shot? And, and in a situation like that, if you actually have some knowledge and you understand the game a little bit, then that's when you can kind of speak up, but you should never speak up or bring those things into play before a, a player asks you to. And, um, and in a situation like us, like everyone that we play with, everyone we go on a golf trip with is a good enough golfer. Like they, they have a pretty good idea of how to play the shots that they're trying to play and, and hit the putts that they're trying to hit and, and the chips and all that kind of stuff. Like they know how comfortable they are pulling something off and not pulling something off to let someone give who doesn't really know your game, speak too much into your game is very different than letting someone help you navigate the golf course they know the golf course better than you, but but they do not know your game better than you. And so take the advice on the, of, take the right. advice on the golf course, but don't take too much advice on on your golf game. Essentially, like if they say, "Oh, you know, you just want to punch a wedge up there." Well, no, actually, I don't want to punch a wedge up right. there. Right, I, I have my no game. business punching right. wedges. Right, right. <laughs> I, I want to hit a big high flop wedge, you know, or whatever. Like. I, that that's where you say, well, just I, I don't I don't I don't need you to tell me what kind of shot to hit. I need you to tell me where to where to hit this shot, um, or you know, do I hit this do I hit this shot to the left of this pin or the right of this pin? Like, what is what is best? Um, those are the kinds of things caddies can really help you with. But if you ask the right questions too, then that will that will lead you to get the best result having a caddy, as opposed to saying, like. Oh, you know, where where like what what line do you see, or whatever you you can just say, I see it on this line. Do you think that that's close? You know, if I if I hit it hard enough, or you know, is it you know going to break more than that? Um, you know, but I think you know saying how hard do I need to hit this? Well. Right. You need to hit it how comf- however hard you feel comfortable hitting it. You know what I mean? It's like that, that's what a lot of guys would tell me is like, is that a good line? I'm like, well, yeah, if your speed's good, that's a great line. Depends on speed, right? Right, right. Yeah. yeah. So um, anyway, but but I think that's, you know, I think that's just the nuance of pretty much not playing with the caddy for most of your life. You of know? understanding. That's right. Of understanding that relationship. And I think it's like everything. Uh, how you ask or how you phrase your questions are, are really going to be important right? Uh, so that you can gain the insight that you need, but ultimately understand that you're the one pulling the trigger. Right, right. And, and ultimately, I think we've talked about this a lot. I think golf is one of those things you're never going to play good if you can't accept personal accountability and responsibility for what happens when you swing a club. Right, right. Period, well, and I would say, end of story. Yeah, and I would say like we we actually most of the time, I, I, with the exception of maybe our last trip to Streamsong, we at the black course at least not not when we were on the red. Red we had great caddies. Um, black we did not have good caddy. Um, but like you and I, when we've played together, whether it's at you know, uh, whether it's at Wingfoot or. You know, Hudson National, Robert Trent Jones Golf Club, Champions Retreat. Whenever we've had a caddy, those guys have been pretty good. And yeah, been, I, I completely and they've, agree. Yeah, and they've been they've been good enough golfers that they aren't really like 
our our games are not something that they look up to necessarily. You know what right. I mean? Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I think I think that's also a good thing to have in a caddy is a caddy who's a good player is going to be uh, someone who's not necessarily um, impressed by your golf game to the point that like they get super worried and stressed about making sure you play well. You know because. They they understand golf a little bit better. They're they're a good golfer themselves. Like so, they're pretty laid back. They're they're not going to you know really do too much. They're just going to offer you know good advice here and there um, that they feel like you need. And um, and I would say you know for the most part we've had good experience with caddies. I w- I would say our last my my last experience with you know the guy at at stream song black i was not impressed but um but that's okay i mean it it, that happens sometimes some guys are just you know they need they need a good good paying gig and you know they get into a caddy situation and and that's a good thing for them Yeah. yeah so um but all right so transitioning off of uh kind of like the that kind of stuff and and more into uh what we saw at the Wyndham Championship, Kevin Kisner, big story coming out of uh, of this six man playoff. Um, you you threw out the name Adam Scott last week, and I thought you were crazy. And he got into that playoff, man. That's that's crazy. Um, well, he's been playing well. Like you look for guys that are trending, and I think Adam Scott's a guy who has played at Liberty National uh, in the previous events. Um. And he played there in the President's Cup. But, you know, he was trending in the right direction. I still think he's trending. I don't think um, that that's going to change anything. But, yeah, I think think there were guys that were headed in the right direction. I think a lot of those guys in that playoff were were those guys. And credit to Kiz for, you know, those guys missed their putts and and Kiz made his. Right. Um, You know, I I think that's one of those. And we were discussing it a little bit before the podcast. But you'd like to think of him. Maybe not a super local winner because you think of him more as a you know an Aiken South Carolina guy, but that's a right. regional winner. Played yeah, on sure. those courses, played a ton of golf there, familiar with those grasses. I think everybody would have preferred to see Webb, who was around the lead, um, just couldn't make a birdie when he needed to, to to get into that playoff to get to that number. I actually picked him second in the uh, in the the work league and ended up winning this week. Uh, the nice. guy who picked first picked Hideki and oh. and ended up missing the cut. So it oh. uh, it left the door open for Webb. I, I'm going to pick him every time if I have a chance at Wyndham uh, because he, he actually he loves that that tournament so much that he, he named a daughter after, right. after that tournament. So right. I think it, it means something to him. He loves the course and the area. So he had a great finish, and I think he's trending in the right direction. And I think those two guys are are guys who are going to be mentioned in the the Ryder Cup conversation here in a couple weeks. Yeah. Well, and I think I think that's that's probably one of the biggest things now with with Kisner winning. Uh, you have a guy who's played on some Ryder Cups, played on some Presidents Cups, has a really good rapport in the team room. A lot of these guys really like Kevin Kisner, um, and and they should. I mean, he's a really fun guy. Uh, he's, you know, obviously been, we talk about YouTube content, you know, Kevin Kisner has, has done a lot with, uh, with the barstool guys. I think he's done some stuff with the no laying up guys. I mean, he's, he's kind of been around there, um, 
you know, kind of messing around. I'm, I'm sure being from Aiken, I don't know this because I, 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 I don't watch as much YouTube as you, but I'm assuming that he's probably had some stuff with the Bryan brothers as well. He is not. Um, no. no, he's not. No, he okay. hasn't. I, w- I wow. actually went back through the Brian Brothers channel so I could talk about that this week. <laughs> uh, couldn't find anything with Kevin Kisner. Uh, found more with Rory McElroy from wow. six and seven years ago when they were kind of like trick shot guys before okay. Wesley started yeah. getting out on tour and playing. Yeah. Um, which is surprising. So yeah, that is surprising. Well, I would have expected. I would have expected there to be you know some little little matches going on on well it on would the seem YouTube to make with them, but maybe I, it would seem you know. to make sense right the brian yeah. brothers versus scott brown and kevin yeah. kisner yeah like those guys would i bet you they played a ton of golf together it almost makes you think that there must be some kind of like beef that exists or animosity that's there yeah well maybe yeah because they're also all callaway guys so that would right you think callaway it, would try a very, and find a way to fund that right <laughs> it's a very like natural thing yeah, yeah. Um, but, oh, but I digress. Anyway, um, I think, but I do think like, it's just one of those things. A lot of people like Kevin Kisner. I think he's a good fit for this team. He, he actually, honestly, if you, if you want me to, if you want me to name a player that he reminds me of most, it's probably Steve Stricker, like even captain of the Ryder Cup team. Like, I think, I think Kisner kind of reminds me of Steve Stricker, a good putter. Um, and and a really, you know, solid guy to 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 play well a lot uh, throughout the year. He's not necessarily going to, you know, wow anybody, amaze anybody by his game, but he definitely is solid on and on a lot of levels, and 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 deserves a lot of uh, accolades and opportunities. I think that come his way. So, um, I think the other big news is is that I mean, this jumped him from 69th in the FedEx Cup standings up to like inside the top 30. So he's pretty, pretty well secure to get into, you know, to get pretty close to Eastlake at least, you know, to make it, to make it close to the tour championship with that standing. Which I think is what Stricker would want. He, yeah. To see him in, play more. How does he trend throughout the playoffs? That's right. Well, but I think it's just, it, it makes it an easier decision because I think what Steve Stricker needs to do and what he would probably like to do is find a way to reduce some of the talking points that exist in the team because there's plenty of that. I don't think he would necessarily want to create more with his picks. So let's say Kisner, hypothetically, of course, because I I love Kevin Kisner. Uh, I hope he makes the Ryder Cup team because I think he makes the team better. Uh, I think he makes the event better because he's just so much fun. You know, you think of that, that dance that he did with Mickelson, uh, when they won at the President's Cup, which which was at Liberty National. Um, so, and I think Riggs is running the campaign to get him on the team. Because I think I saw a tweet <laughs> or some kind of social media post from him saying that if Kevin Kisner doesn't make the Ryder Cup team, he's going to cheer for the Europeans. Oh, gosh. Um, it's funny. So I, I think he's going to uh, he's gonna get him on there single-handedly. But let's say Kisner wins at Wyndham. And then goes out and misses two cuts. Yeah. And all of a sudden, you know, he's not in the final playoff event, not trending in the right direction. And some of those other guys are playing better. You know, I don't think if you're Steve Stricker, you want any more difficult decisions. Because I think if you could have it your way, you would have Webb Simpson and Kevin Kisner playing well enough to transition into those in, into that team where it's a no-brainer. Because yeah. I think that's what you need at this point. You need... 
Yeah. Uh, I saw an article on golf.com talking about how you need uh, adults in the room. Like you need mm-hmm. guys who can get along with everybody. Yep. And Webb and Kisner are those guys. They don't have big egos. They don't have beefs going on with other guys or social media back and forth or talking through the media or, or whatever else is going on. Mm-hmm. And so if those two guys can play well, I, I think they are an automatic pick. And I think a guy who fits in that same boat is Tony Fino, my guy, yes. who who would win by a million. Like, he's yeah. kind of quiet, would, would fit in great, carried Brooks in Paris during their round when they won. Yep. Um, you know, I, I think that's what Stricker would like, is good teammate guys. You know, you think of guys like, and I think Mickelson is one of those guys. Who knows if he's going to be playing well enough because ultimately the goal is to win and you have to have guys that are playing well, right? You can't just pick a bunch of good clubhouse guys because you'll never win any games. For sure. Like, yeah, uh, this isn't rec league, um, but I I think there's options and I think Kisner is uh, high on that list now, certainly. And as long as he makes cuts and plays pretty consistently, I think he'll be on the team. Well, that's, you know, it is an interesting thing to think about because, I, I mean, this is the first time that the U.S., I think you get six picks, so uh, so more picks than normal for for these guys. And uh, so to me, it's just a, it's kind of a fascinating thing to consider and, and think about in general just uh, that, you know, I mean, Steve Stricker has more power to do kind of what he feels like is best for the team than any other captain in – Ryder Cup history for the United States because he has more picks at his disposal. Now, obviously, you, you would think that he's probably going to pick fairly normally, you know, like he's probably going to pick guys that like you expect to be there, I guess, um, because they've they've somewhat earned a right to be there based off of their play and their ranking. But, I mean, if if he feels like, well, I know this guy technically has a better ranking, but Kevin Kisner – is a little bit more in better form right now. Like I trust him more in the team room and he's in good form right now. I'm going to go with him or, you know, I mean, I don't know. I mean, you, he has the ability to do that, which has not always been the case uh, in the Ryder cup. So I think that that's an interesting, an interesting thing to consider as we move down is like, do we think that he's going to take some of those risky, maybe outside the box picks um, when it comes down to it, or do you think he'll kind of stick mainstream, uh, you know, and, and those kinds of things? I think, I think those are, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out in my mind, because I think there are, there are clearly guys who obviously have played their way onto this team. And then there are other guys who, you know, they're, they're there, but you know, are they really going to get you, are they really going to get you the cup, you know? True, um, and I think that's where some of that line is going to be drawn, right? I, I think that that good example is potentially Patrick Reed. Yeah. you you got to figure there's not a ton of guys that really like Patrick Reed. Um, right. Especially after the commotion that he caused last year, or, or last uh, event, last Ryder Cup in Paris. Right. Um, calling out some of the pairings. You know, nobody likes that stuff. Um, yeah. Especially when it, it has to do with Spieth and Thomas, who are guys right. who have known each other since they were 12. Right. They're, of course, going to want to play together, right? 
Right. Um, so it'll be interesting because that that's where, to me, kind of the rubber hits the road. And I think you'll see, is it going to be a professional mentality, what Brooks and, and Bryson talk about? Like, hey, I'll, I'll, I can put up with anybody for a week as long as we win. That's right. what matters to me. We need to win. Right. Uh, because if that's the case, then Patrick Reed fits right in with that team. Right. Um, but if it's about, hey, listen, we need to soften some of this stuff, and not to say that there's not room for both in the team, right? but um, it'll be interesting to see, right? Are we going to pick good guys who are playing well that fit in, or are we going to pick guys who are veteran who may not be uh, playing great, but have a ton of experience and have performed really well consistently throughout their careers, but also in the Ryder Cup. Right. Um, so I'm going to... Who may have a little bit more, create some more waves in the pool, so to speak. Yeah. So I'm going to name... So the, the top six guys right now that are in are Colin Morikawa's number one, Dustin Johnson's number two. They are actually qualified. So they are they are in no matter what. Um, Bryson DeChambeau is three, Brooks Kepka four, Justin Thomas five, and Xander Shoffley six. You like that top six? Yeah, I love it. Yeah, I think that. I top mean, six outside is great. of the outside of the the Bryson Brooks thing, but beef, yeah. But you know, you can avoid them really playing together. Just I put, will say though, put Bryson Dustin has, and Brooks together, and and put you know Bryson and Colin Morikawa together. Yeah. Br- Bryson has scared me recently because he was right there next to Harris English in Memphis. Yeah. And those guys, I don't know what was happening, but they completely fell apart. When a professional golfer shoots a back nine score on Sunday that starts with a four, (laughs) you have no reason not to wonder what's going on. Right. Well, yeah, I, I I would agree with you there. But that's I mean, that's but, really the only that's the only thing. I love yeah. the names. I love the game. I you know I love yeah. how they how they finished. All of that is great. So so I think we would both agree. Jordan Spieth at seven, he's in. I I read an article recently that said Jordan Spieth could announce that he is going to switch to play golf left handed, and he would still be the first captain's pick. Yeah, absolutely. That that's that's how <laughs> much of a lock Jordan Spieth is to make yeah. this team. Yeah, so eight is Harris English. Is he in or out? Uh, I think it depends on how he plays. I think he's been uh, – He's everybody loves him. I think he's a great guy. He would fit in well, but you can't have guys that are shooting uh, – a captain's pick can't shoot 42 or whatever it was on Sunday. Yeah, he's a chicken. I don't like him. Um, all right, uh, Patrick Reed, to get in? I If he's close and playing well, I I don't see how you can't take him. All right. He's Daniel. one of those guys where you grit your teeth and you take him. Daniel Berger, does he get in? Probably. No. Because he's trending in the right direction. He had a great start in Memphis, and that's a, that's a golf course that he's traditionally played really well. I think he's won St. Jude twice, right? Yeah. Um, so we'll see how he does in the playoffs, but if he plays like he has over the last month, month and a half, yes, because he fits in really well with that Spieth, Justin Thomas, you know, South Florida crew, he's close with those guys, so I would think he'd be a good addition. Mm. Has, Patrick, and he has Ryder Cup experience. Patrick Cantlay? Everybody loves him, so I would say yes. And 12 is Tony Fino. And I did see that interesting point on Cantlay. I'm not sure what's up with his regular caddy, but I heard Joey LaCava is going to be on his bag at hmm. Liberty National this week. Interesting. Okay. 
Yeah. So and then Tony and then Finau's twelve. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Well, but the, the right now I would take those guys for sure. I wouldn't have any problem putting that team out there. I would not replace Webb or Kiz with either of those guys right now. I would be just fine with taking the top twelve. Okay. Well, I mean, yeah, outside, I would, I would, outside I of Harris English, just yeah. because of current form, really. But if he comes out and has a couple strong playoff events, I, I wouldn't have a problem taking him. See, I think I would probably, I think I would probably take out Harris English, Daniel Berger, and Patrick Cantlay, and replace those guys with Webb Simpson, uh, Billy Horschel, and Kevin Kisner. Or what, Phil Mickelson. What number? Well, that's going to be the question, right? Mickelson's going to be the guy. Um, what number on the list is Horschel? Do you know? Do you have it up in front of you? 16. Okay, so he's not too far out of the 12, I guess. Like, to me, I think if you're Stricker, you have a group of guys probably that go down to 20. And yeah. Mickelson, maybe. And you tell them. Mickelson's 19. Max yeah. Homa is 20. There you go. So include Max just because he's such a great guy. Yeah. Um, and say, hey, it like all you guys are close, and I would love to take everybody. We would love to have you guys. You'd be great fit. We we really need to take guys who are playing well. Uh, so use the playoffs as a as a way to prove that you should be on this team. Yeah. And I don't think you can go wrong there. Yeah. Uh, so so you're saying if one of these guys in the bottom six doesn't make the tour championship and somebody outside of that bottom six does make the tour championship, you would take them over them? Is that how you're kind of thinking? Essentially, yes. Okay. To me, those bottom six uh, picks, I mean, I outside, of, out, outside of Spieth, um, I would think, I, I don't know that any of those guys are what I would consider to be untouchable. But at the same time, I don't think there's anybody below them that I think right now I've got to have them in that in this team over this guy. I don't like right. to me. There's like a group of guys. If again, excluding Spieth at seven, so eight to twelve, like there could be a lot of guys that that fit. And to be honest, I don't think that there is a per like for me personally. I don't think there's a personality requirement or, or a a conflict. <laughs> avoider that we have to have somebody like that to pair with somebody. Right. I, I just don't think that's the circumstance. So I would love to see kids on the team. And I think he's, he may be leading the pack right now because of the win to maybe be that next guy in or, or muscle somebody out if somebody doesn't play very well. But I have a hard time believing that Unless you're a big, big, big name, like Spieth, for instance, would be the only guy, and, and that's why I think he's one of the untouchables. But if Patrick Reed doesn't make it to the Tour Championship, I think I think he could potentially miss out on the Ryder Cup. Yeah. And I think that's probably how it should be. It's the inverse of the Horschel rule, right? Yeah. yeah. You know, you, you want guys like Horschel that year when he won the mm-hmm. FedEx Cup playing on the Ryder Cup. Right. That's, well, yeah, that's and the you got, point. yeah, and I mean, in that, in that, in that, right below Finau, you have Webb Simpson thirteen, Scotty Scheffler fourteen, uh, Jason Kokrak, who I don't think would we either one of us would necessarily put on that team, but no, sir, Jason Kokrak. Then you have sixteen Horschel, Sam Burns at seventeen, Kevin Kisner eighteen, nineteen, 
as Phil and 20 as Max Homa. So I think outside of Jason Kokrak, any of those guys, 13 through 20, seem like really, really good solid fits for this team as well. You know? I completely um, agree. And it, so, to me, it, it comes down to form because I could very right. easily, like as much as I love Tony Finau, if he's not playing well, when Tony Finau's not playing well, he's not playing well. Right, right. <laughs> he's not a guy who can save it and make a bunch of pars and stuff like that. I mean, when it gets off the rails, it gets off the rails. And right. so I could see him being a, a potential uh, casualty to somebody playing really well. Like, let's say Webb or Kiz or any one of these other guys. Let's say Max Homa wins two playoff events. Right. Right? I mean, there's no way you're not taking that guy. If if somebody wins two playoff events in the FedEx Cup, like Horschel did, you're taking that guy to the Ryder Cup. End of story. Right. It doesn't right. matter if he's 33rd on the list right now. Right. Right? It could be Keith Mitchell. Which would be, which would be or, Lucas. Or Clark. Harry Higgs. Or whoever else, right? <laughs> yeah. Well... That's, I mean, that's ins- interesting. Insert I mean, your American name. If there's a guy yeah. who wins the FedEx Cup and he's yeah. not already qualified, he's going. I would guess. I, I don't understand what the rationale could possibly be. Right. Because what is really mind, interesting it, to me. In my mind, if you like because you have Bryson and Brooks already in the team together, it can't be like, you know, if, if Bryson or Brooks weren't in the team and one of them did that, and then you could use the chemistry card to say, well, you know, uh, they're going to mess up chemistry and it's just better if we keep these guys together. Like, that doesn't exist right now. Mm-hmm. So if somebody's hot enough to beat the best golfers in the world, you know, the, the guys who are going to be playing on the European team as well, you know, mm-hmm. Rory's and Rom's and those guys in these tournaments, mm-hmm. you might as well sign them up the next week to show up at Whistling Straits. Yeah, for sure. Well, so a really interesting aspect. How many wins has Stuart Sink got this year? Two? I Was it one or two? He has two, right? He has one from the fall series, and then he has the RBC at uh, Harbortown, right? And I think Kokrak and Harris English do too. Yeah, but so... But Stuart Sink is ranked 29th in the FedEx or in the Ryder Cup standings. Huh. I guess that's because of last year's finishes or something like that, because they didn't go off for two years worth of uh, play or something like that. I think so, but I think they changed that. Yeah, but I, I they changed the the qualification because of COVID as well, Ooh. and they yeah. gave Stricker more opportunity to pick guys because they realized that playing. And accruing points may not necessarily be the best way to pick the best guys. Right. I don't know if you had a chance to look at how the European team does qualifying now. Mm-hmm. I feel like you need a, like Mallory, <laughs> you need a master's degree in math to try to figure that stuff out. Mm-hmm. They have four guys from like, I, I don't know if it's the race to Dubai or whatever point system they use. And then they have world ranking points or world team points or something some other calculation and then they have like other guys who are not already qualified through those two ways can do this other qualification and then they have picks it's very convoluted so this is pretty interesting so the european team as of right now if you went with just the top 12 would be john rom tommy fleetwood terrell hatton roran mcelroy Matthew Fitzpatrick, Paul Casey, Bernd Wiesberger, Victor Perez, Robert McIntyre, Guido Migliazio, or 
Lozi or something like that. He finished. Yeah, he's had some great finishes. Yeah, from Italy. Yeah. And then Thomas Dietrich and Victor Hovland. Um, How is Victor Hovland that far down that list? I know. That's what I was thinking. That's crazy. Again, I think it's got to be based off of, you know, multiple years. Uh, But Lee Westwood is 13 just outside of the top 12. So, um, anyway, that's it's interesting to see how that's going to stack up. I mean, like a lot of times, I mean, I feel like you compare those, those players versus the U S and you're like, Oh man, the U S is going to win this easy. But, but then they get to the freaking thing and it just, it never seems to happen the way you expect it to. So, yeah, but it's on U S soil. Yeah. And so So, I think that's different for me. Yeah. Like if the, if you look at the team and the U S team is better, like just objectively better, yeah, um, and it's on U.S. soil. Then it may be a little bit closer than we think because golf is ultimately like, yeah, I, there's not a huge margin there to begin with, right? And so you know, one or two shots can go either way during the course of a round. Um, but I, I think the Europeans are kind of going to go into a lull here because some of their bigger name guys are getting a little bit older. Yeah, you think of Stenson and Rose. Um, yeah, see, Sergio Rose Sergio, and Poulter, Poulter, eighteen, nineteen, and twenty. Yeah, you think of some of those guys, mm-hmm. and you know that, and they're younger than Phil, but I think they're in the same boat on the European squad as Phil is with the Americans. Like you'd love to see them play better, and they would be an automatic pick if they were playing well. But if they're not, and they really haven't consistently been, is it worth a spot? Because you're going to have to play some of these other younger guys if that's the case, because I don't think those guys can go three, four rounds. Right. Right. So it, it becomes a very difficult situation for those guys. And that's why I think, and I don't, you know, I don't want to call it too early, but I think the U S is going to steamroll these guys. (laughs) All right. Well, we'll see. We'll see. Because I think that's what, that's what the U S needs. I think honestly (laughs) is some Brooks and Bryson drama to have them go out and play well. Yeah, no. There's, I, there's a lot. There's been a lot of buddy buddy because I think that's what that, that's what the Europeans did. Yeah, um, and I don't think that's uh, that's wrong because I think in golf you want to be comfortable, but you can do that without being like you know the Europeans have kind of a natural nationality in, that exists, yeah. but in their team room, right? Right. Um, the U.S. has they, that too. They play a lot it's more just, team golf too. I think that's the other thing. It's just they play a lot different. more team golf over there. A lot more match play. Um, than like the United States. Yeah. In the U.S., there's guys who play together in South Florida all the time. Right. Then there's a handful of guys who play in Dallas. There's some guys out in Arizona. There's some guys out in Southern California. Like, we do have that. And I think that's what you see is some of these different factions yeah. kind of going at each other a little bit. So I think it's going to be just fine, and I think they will play really, really well. So we'll see. All right. All right, well, we got less than 60 seconds to make a pick for this week's Northern Trust. So who do you got? Um, I, crazy enough, I like, uh, I like Patrick Reed. Okay. I think he's a, uh, he plays well at courses like this, that you know, short game is going to be important. I think a lot of guys are going to hit a lot of fairways. I think there's going to be a lot of birdies. And I think he's going to play well because this is the time of year that he plays well. Uh, I saw a pic on Instagram today that he has a new um, scorecard cover 
literally Captain the Captain America shield. <laughs> the Steve Rogers shield is on the front of it. So I feel like that's a that's his message to everybody, and it's like I, I think like when this time comes around for Patrick Reed, it's like the flu game for Michael Jordan. <laughs> like this is when he comes alive and he wants to create this like conflict and it's the world against him. I I just think he he likes this type of stuff and I think he's going to play really well. I I I don't have a problem with that pick. I think that would be really cool and I hope he does play well. I hope he does get on that Ryder Cup team. I think um having him on that Ryder Cup team as much as people maybe don't like him I think if there's one place where people root for Patrick Reed, it is on the Ryder Cup, and I like that story. So, um, I uh, I would say uh, he could he could announce today that he's going to come out tomorrow and play left handed. I'd still pick him, Jordan Spieth. Oh, uh, okay. I think I a couple couple months ago I picked Jordan Spieth as the eventual FedEx Cup champion, and I think I'm still sticking with that. I think he's still probably in the most solid, consistent form of anybody. If he can stay away from mental mistakes, he's got everything in his game uh, going. So I pick him to win this tournament and then win the Tour Championship, and he's going to win the FedEx Cup. Um, but but I think he wins this one first. So that's who I'm going with. So I don't think there's anything wrong with that pick. I, you feel like he's got to be rested? Yeah. Ready to come back out and, uh, and play some golf down the final stretch? Yeah, for sure. So, all right. Well, that's our uh, that's our show for tonight. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Uh, as always, make sure you like, comment, share, subscribe, do all that kind of stuff wherever you listen to your podcast. And we appreciate you guys tuning in and listening. We'll be back uh, next week, hopefully with Bob on the call, and uh, and we'll uh, we'll talk some more golf with you. So, thanks for tuning in, and y'all have a great night.